Thirteen. Exploitation. Wax sculpture. It all comes down to blood. Yours. Mine. All of it. No one knows how it was discovered that God's blood is an intoxicant for mortals. The godlings knew it already when they came. It had been common knowledge before the interdiction. I suppose someone, somewhere, simply decided to try it one day. Likewise, gods have drunk mortal blood. Only a few of them, thankfully, seemed to like the taste. But some god, somewhere, eventually decided to try a demon's blood. And then the great paradox was revealed that immortality and mortality do not mix. How the heavens must have shaken at that first death. Until then, godlings had feared only each other and the wrath of the three, while the three feared no one. Suddenly, it must have seemed to the gods that there was danger everywhere, every poisonous drop in every mortal vein of every half-breed child. There was only one way, one terrible way, that the gods' fears could be assuaged. Yet the murdered demons had their vengeance. After the slaughter, the harmony that had once been unshakable between gods and godlings, immortals and mortals, was shattered. Those humans who'd lost demon friends and loved ones turned against humans who had aided the gods. Tribes and nations fell apart under the strain. The godlings regarded their parents with new fear, aware now of what could happen should they ever become a threat. And the three? How much did it hurt them, horrify them, when the deed was done and the battle haze faded and they found themselves surrounded by the corpses of their sons and daughters? Here's what I believe. The God's War took place thousands of years after the demon holocaust. But for beings who live forever, would not the memory still be fresh? How much did the former event contribute to the latter? Would the war have even happened if Nahadoth and Etempis and Enifa had not already tainted their love for one another with sorrow and distrust? I wonder. We should all wonder. I stopped caring. The lights, my captivity, matting, shiny, none of it mattered. Time passed. They brought me back to my room and tied me to the bed, leaving one arm free. As an added measure, they went through the room and removed everything I might use to harm myself. The candles, the sheets, other things. There were voices, touches, pain when something was done to my arm again. More of my blood poison, drip, drip, dripping into a bowl. Long periods of silence. Somewhere amid this I felt the urge to urinate and did so. The attendant who arrived next cursed like a West Shaw beggar when he smelled it. He left, and presently women came. I was diapered. I lay where they put me, in the darkness that is the world without magic. Time passed. Sometimes I slept, sometimes I didn't. They took more of my blood. Sometimes I recognized the voices that spoke around me. Haddo, for example. Shouldn't we at least allow her to recover from the shock first? Saruman, bone-benders and herbalists have been consulted. This won't do her any lasting harm. Haddo, how convenient. Now the Nightbreed need no longer weaken himself to achieve our goals. Saruman, see that she eats, Haddo, and keep your opinions to yourself. I was fed. 
Hands put food into my mouth. I chewed and swallowed out of habit. I grew thirsty, so I drank when water was held to my mouth. Much of it spilled down my shirt. The shirt dried. Time passed. Now and again, women returned to bathe me with sponges. Erod returned, and after some consultation with Hado, she put something into my arm that remained there, a constant niggling pain. When they came to take my blood the next time, it went faster, because all they had to do was uncap a thin metal tube. If I could have mustered the will to speak, I would have said, Don't cap it. Let it all run out. But I didn't, and they didn't. Time passed. Then they brought Shiny back. I heard men huffing and grunting with effort. Hado was with them. Gods, he's heavy. We should have waited until he was alive again. Something knocked over one of the chairs with a loud wooden clatter. Together, said someone, and with a final collective grunt, they heaved something onto the other cot in the room. Hado again, close by, sounding winded and annoyed. Well, Lady Ori, it looks like you'll have company again soon. Much good it'll do her, said one of the other men. They laughed. Hado shushed them. I stopped listening to them. Eventually they left. There was more silence for a time. Then, for the first time in a long while, light glimmered at the edge of my vision. I did not turn to look at it. From the same direction there was a sudden gasp of breath, then others, steadying after a moment. The cot creaked, went still, creaked again, louder, as its occupant sat up. There was more silence for a long while. I was grateful for it. Eventually I heard someone rise and come toward me. You killed him. Another familiar voice. When I heard it, something in me changed, for the first time in forever. I remembered something. The voice had spoken softly, tonelessly, but what I remembered was a shout filled with more emotion than I'd ever heard a human voice bear. Denial. Fury. Grief. Ah, yes. He had screamed for his son that day. What day? It didn't matter. Weight bore down the side of the cot as Shiny sat beside me. I know this emptiness, he said. When I understood what I had done, the room had grown cool with the sunset. I thought of blankets, though I stopped short of wishing for one. A hand touched my face. It was warm and smelled of skin, old blood, and distant sunlight. I fought when he came for me, he said. It is my nature. But I would have let him win. I wanted him to win. When he failed, I was angry. I hurt him. The hand trembled once. Yet it was my own weakness that I truly despised. It didn't matter. The hand shifted, covering my mouth. I was breathing through my nose anyway. It was no hardship. I'm going to kill you, Ori, he said. I should have felt fear, but there was nothing. No demon can be permitted to live. But beyond that... His thumb stroked my cheek once. It was oddly soothing. To kill what you love. I know this pain. You have been clever, brave, worthy for a mortal. Deep in the murk of my heart, something stirred. His hand slid up, covering my nose. I would not have you suffer. I did not care about his words. 
but breathing mattered. I turned my head to one side or tried to. His hand tightened steadily, almost gently, holding my face still. I tried to open my mouth, had to think of the word, shiny, but it was muffled by his hand, unintelligible. I lifted my left arm, the one that was free. It hurt. The area around the metal thing was terribly sore and hot, too, with the beginnings of infection. There was a moment of resistance, and then the metal thing tore loose, sending a flash of white pain through me. Startled out of apathy, I bucked upward, reflexively catching Shiny's wrist with my hand. Blood, hot and slick, coated the inner bend of my elbow and ran down my arm. I froze for an instant as awareness flooded through me, the instant the apathy lifted. Matting is dead. Matting was dead and I was alive. Matting was dead and now Shiny, his father, who had cried out in anguish while my blood arrow worked its evil, was trying to kill me. First had come awareness. On its heels came rage. I tried again to shake my head, this time scrabbling at Shiny's wrist with my fingers. It was like grabbing cordwood. His hand didn't budge. Instinctively, I sank my nails into his flesh, having some irrational thought of piercing the tendons to weaken his grip. He shifted his hand slightly. I had an instant to suck a breath, and then pushed my hand away with his free hand, easily brushing off my efforts to regain a grip. A drop of blood landed in my eye, and red filled my thoughts. The color of pain and blood. The color of fury. The color of Madding's desecrated heart. I put my hand against Shiny's chest. I paint a picture, you son of a demon. Shiny jerked once. His hand slipped aside. I quickly caught my breath. I braced myself for him to try again, but he did not move. Suddenly, I realized I could see my hand. For a moment, I was not certain that it was my hand. I had never seen my hand before, after all. It looked too small to be mine, long and slender, more wrinkly than I'd expected. There was charcoal under some of the nails. Along the back of the thumb was a raised scar, old and perhaps an inch long. I remembered getting it last year when an awl I'd been using slipped. I turned my hand to look at the palm and found it completely coated in blood. There was a thud as Shiny fell to the floor beside me. I lay where I was for a moment, grimly satisfied. Then I began working at the straps that held me down. Quickly, I realized the buckles were meant to be opened with two hands. My other hand was solidly strapped down with a leather cuff, padded on the inside to prevent sores. For a moment, this stymied me until it occurred to me to use the blood on my free hand. I rubbed it on the other wrist, then began working it from side to side, pulling and twisting. I had such small, slender hands. It took time, but eventually the blood and sweat on my wrist made the leather slick, and I slipped that hand free. Then I could open the rest of the buckles and sit up. When I did, though, I fell back again. My head spun, thick queasiness rolling in its wake. I slumped against the wall, panting and trying to blink away the stars across my vision, and wondering what in the gods' names the lights had done to me. Only gradually did I realize all the blood they had taken. Four times, in how many days? Time had passed, but not enough, clearly. I was in no shape to walk or even move much. That was bad, because I would have to escape the house of the risen sun as soon as possible. I had no choice now. While I lay sprawled across the bed, fighting for consciousness, 
Light glimmered again on the floor. I heard Shiny draw a breath, then slowly get to his feet. I felt his angry gaze, heavy as the lead weight. Don't touch me, I snapped before he could get any more ideas. Don't you dare touch me. He said nothing and did not move, looming over me in palpable threat. I laughed at him. I felt no real amusement, just bitterness. Laughter let me vent it as well as anything else. Bastard, I said. I tried to sit up and face him, but could not. Staying conscious and talking was the best I could do. My head had lolled to one side like a drunkard's. I kept talking anyway. The great Lord of Light, so merciful and kind. Touch me again, and I'll put the next hole through your head. Then I'll bleed on you. I tried to lift my arm, but succeeded only in jerking it a bit. See if I have enough left in me to kill one of the three. It was a bluff. I didn't have the strength to do any of it. Still, he stayed where he was. I could almost feel the fury in him, beating against me like insect wings. You cannot be permitted to live, he said. None of that fury was in his voice. He was so good at self-control. You threatened the entire universe. I swore at him in every language I could think of. That wasn't much. Cinemite, a few epithets in Old Morrow, which were all I knew of the language, and a bit of gutter kenti that Rue had taught me. When I finished, I was slurring again, on the brink of passing out. With an effort of will, I fought it off. To the hells with the universe, I finished. You didn't give a damn about the universe when you started the God's War. You didn't give a damn about anything, including yourself. I managed to make a vague gesture with one hand. You want to kill me? Earn it. Help me get free of this place. Then my life is yours. He went very still. Yes, I thought that would get his attention. A bargain. You understand that, don't you? An orderly, fair thing, so you should respect it. You help me, I help you. Help you escape. Yes, damn you. My voice echoed from the walls. There were guards outside, I remembered belatedly. I lowered my voice and went on. Help me get away from this place and stop these people. If I kill you, they will have no more of your blood. Such sweet words my shiny spoke. I laughed again and felt his consternation. They'll still have Date, I said when the laughter had run out. I was tiring again, sleepy. Not yet, though. If I didn't make this bargain with Shiny first, I would never wake up. With just Date's blood, they killed Rola. With his power, they've captured others. Four times, Shiny. Four times they've taken my blood. How many more of your children have they poisoned with it? I heard the pause of his breath. That one had struck home. Oh, yes. I had found his weakness at last, the chink in his apathy. Diminished and reviled and cold-blooded as he was, he still loved his family. So I readied my next lunge, knowing this one would cut even deeper. Maybe they'll even use my blood to kill Nahadoth. Impossible, Shiny said, but I knew him. That was fear in his voice. Nahadoth could crush this world before Date blinks. Not if he's distracted. My eyes drifted shut while I said it. I could not open them, no matter how hard I tried. They're killing the godlings to lure him here, to the mortal realm. 
Date kills them, eats them. Matting's blood, running dark rivers down Date's chin as he bit into the heart like an apple. I gagged and fought the image back. Takes their magic. I don't know how. How he... I swallowed, focused. The Night Lord. I don't know how Date plans to do it. An arrow in the back, maybe? Who the hells knows if it'll work? But do you want him to try? If there's even a chance he could... succeed. Too much. Too much. I needed rest, and for no one to try and kill me for a while. Would Shiny let me have that? One way to find out, I decided, and passed out. I surfaced a little, bobbing beneath the threshold of consciousness. Daytime warmth. More voices. Infection, said one. Male. Nice, old, gravelly voice like Voroy's. Oh, how I missed him. More murmured words, soothing. Something about seizure, blood loss, apothecary. Necessary. There are signs. Saruman. She had come to see me before, I remembered. Wasn't that sweet? She cared. Must move quickly. The gravelly voice rose and bobbed and dipped enough for me to hear one word, emphasized. Die. A long sigh from Saruman. We'll pause for a day or two then. More murmurs, confusing. I was tired. I slept again. Night again. The room felt cooler. I opened my eyes and heard a harsh, ragged panting from the cot nearby. Shiny. His breath bubbled and wheezed strangely. I listened to it for a while, but then his breathing slowed. Caught once, resumed, ceased again, stayed silent. The room smelled of fresh blood again. Had they taken more from me? but I felt better, not worse. I fell asleep again before Shiny could resurrect and tell me what the lights had done to him. Later, still night, but deeper into it. I opened my eyes as brightness flared against them. I glanced over to see Shiny. He lay on the cot, curled on his side, still shimmering from his return to life. I tried moving and found that I had more energy. My arm was still very sore and thickly bandaged now but I could move it. The straps were back in place and cinched tight across my chest and hips and legs, but the other wrist cuff had been left loose. I easily slipped my hand free. Shiny's doing? Then he had agreed to my bargain. I unbuckled myself and sat up slowly, cautiously. There was an instant of dizziness and nausea, but it passed before I could fall on my face. I sat where I was on the edge of the bed, taking deep breaths, becoming reacquainted with my body. Feet, Shaky legs, diaper around my hips, thankfully clean, slouched back, sore neck. I lifted my head, and it did not spin. With great care, I got to my feet. The three steps from my cot to Shiny's exhausted me. I sat down on the floor beside the cot, leaning my head on his legs. He didn't stir, but his breath tickled my fingers when I examined his face. His brow was furrowed, even in sleep. There were new lines on his face, around his sunken eyes. Not dead, but something had taken its toll on him. He usually woke as soon as he came back to life. Very strange. As I took my hand away, it brushed against the cloth of his smock. Cold wetness startled me. I touched, explored, and realized there was a wide patch of half-dried blood all down the lower half of his torso. Pulling up his shirt, I explored his belly. No wound now. 
but there had been a terrible one before. He stirred while I was touching him, his glow fading rapidly. I saw him open his eyes and frown at me. Then he sighed and sat up beside me. We sat together, quiet for a while. I have an idea, I said, to escape. Tell me if you think it will work, I told him, and he listened. No, he said. I smiled. No, it won't work, or no, you'd rather kill me on purpose than by accident. He stood up abruptly and walked away from me. I could see only a hazy outline of him as he went to the windows and stood there. His hands were clenched into fists, his shoulders high and tense. No, he said. I doubt it will work, but even if it does... A shudder passed through him, and then I understood. My anger roiled again, though I laughed. Oh, I see. I'd forgotten that day in the park, when you started this whole mess by attacking Previt Ramarin. I clenched my fist on my thighs, ignoring the twinge from the injured arm. I remember the look on your face as you did it. That whole time I was in danger, scared out of my mind for you, but you were enjoying the chance to wield a bit of your old power. He did not reply, but I was certain. I had seen his smile that day. It must be so hard for you, Shiny, getting to be your old self again for so brief a time. Then it diminishes until there's nothing left of you but this. I gestured toward his fading back, letting my disgust show. I didn't care what he thought of me anymore. I certainly didn't think much of him. Bad enough you get a taste of it every morning, isn't it? Maybe it would be easier if you didn't have that little reminder of all you used to be. He held rigid for a moment, his sullenness ratcheting toward anger in the usual pattern. Always predictable he was. So satisfying. And then, all at once, his shoulders slumped. Yes, he said. I blinked, thrown. That made me angrier. So I said, You're a coward. You're afraid that it will work, but afterward it'll be like the last time. You'll be weaker than ever, unable even to defend yourself. Useless. Again, that inexplicable yielding. Yes, he whispered. I ground my teeth in thwarted rage. It gave me momentary strength to rise and glare at his back. I did not want his capitulation. I wanted... I did not know, but not this. Look at me, I snarled. He turned. Matting, he said softly. What about him? He said nothing. I made a fist, welcoming the flash of pain as my nails cut my palm. What? Damn you! Infuriating silence. If I'd had the strength, I would have thrown something. As it was, I had only words, so I made them count. Let's talk about Matting, then, why don't we? Matting, your son, who died on the floor, killed by mortals, who then ripped out his heart and ate it. Matting, who still loved you in spite of everything. Be silent, he snapped. Or what, bright lord? Will you try to kill me again? I laughed so hard that it winded me, and I had to gasp out the next words. Do you think I care if I die anymore? At that, I had to stop. I sat down heavily, trying not to cry and hoping for the dizziness to pass. Thankfully, but slowly, it did. Useless, Shiny said. It was so soft, nearly a whisper, 
that I barely heard it over my own panting. Yes, I tried to summon the power. I fought for him and not myself, but the magic would not come. I frowned, the back of my anger breaking. I felt nothing in its wake. We sat for a long while as the silence stretched on, and the last of his glow faded to nothingness. Finally, I sighed and lay back on Shiny's cot, my eyes closed. Matting wasn't mortal, I said. That's why your power didn't work for him. Yes, he said. He had control of himself again, his tone emotionless, his diction clipped. I understand that now. Your plan is still a foolish risk. Maybe so, I breathed, drifting toward sleep. But it's not like you can stop me, so you might as well help. He came to the bed and stood over me for so long that I did fall asleep. He could have killed me then. Smother me, hit me, strangle me with his bare hands. He had a whole menu of options. Instead, he picked me up. The movement woke me, though only halfway. I floated in his arms, dreamlike. It felt like it took much longer for him to carry me to my cot than it should have. He was very warm. He laid me down and strapped me back in, leaving the wrist cuff loose so I could free myself. Tomorrow, he said. I roused at the sound of his voice. No. They might start taking my blood again. We should go now. You need to be stronger. Unspoken, the fact that I would be unable to count on his strength, and my power won't come at night, not even to protect you. Oh, I said, feeling stupid. Right. Afternoon would be best. The sun will be unobstructed by the tree then. That may provide some small advantage. I'll do what I can to convince them not to take more of your blood before that. I reached up to touch his face, then trailed my hand down to his shirt and the stiff spot there. You died again tonight. I have died many times in recent days. Date is most fascinated by my ability to resurrect. I frowned. What? But no. I could imagine all too easily what Date had done to him. Searching my hazy memories of the days since Madding's death, I realized this was not the first time Shiny had returned to the room dead, dying, or covered in gore. No wonder there had been no reaction from our captors when I'd blown a hole in him myself. There were so many things I wanted to think about, so many questions unanswered. How had I killed Shiny? I had had no paint that time, not even charcoal. Were Pythia and the others still alive? Matting. My Matting. No, not him. I could not think about him. If my plan succeeded... I would try to get to Nemer, the goddess of stealth. She would help us. I would see Madding's killer stopped if it was the last thing I did. Wake me in the afternoon, then, I said, and closed my eyes. Fourteen. Flight. Encaustic. Charcoal. Metal rubbing. There were complications. I woke only gradually, which was fortunate, or I might have stirred and given myself away. Before I could do that, someone spoke, and I realized Shiny and I were not alone in the room. Let go of me. My blood chilled. Hado. There was tension in the air, 
something that vibrated along my skin like an itch. But I did not understand it. Anger? No. Let go, or I call the guards. They're right outside the door. A quick sound of motion, flesh and cloth. Who are you? That was shiny, though I hardly recognized his voice. It trembled, wavering from need to confusion. Not who you think, but I am myself. Hado said this with such savagery that I nearly forgot myself and flinched. Just another mortal to you. Yes. Yes. Shiny sounded more himself now, the emotion cooling from his voice. I see that now. Hado drew in a deep breath, as shaky as Shiny's voice had been, and some of the tension faded. Cloth stirred again, and Hado came over to me, shadowing my face. Has she shown any sign of recovery today? Spoken, maybe? No and no. Stiffer than usual, even for Shiny. The White Halls taught that the Bright Lord could not lie. I was relieved to hear that he could, though it plainly did not suit him. Everything is different now. They'll begin taking blood again tonight. Hopefully she's strong enough. That will likely kill her. Look outside, men. Two weeks have passed since Rola died. Two weeks until the Night Lord's deadline, as he has so dramatically decided to remind us. He uttered a soft, humorless laugh. I wondered what he meant. Date has been a man possessed since he saw it. There's no hope of my dissuading him this time. Hado's hand stroked my face suddenly, brushing my hair back. I was surprised at such a tender gesture from him. He hadn't struck me as the type for tenderness, even to this small degree. In fact, he continued with a sigh, if her mind doesn't return, or hell's, even if it does, I fear he'll take all her remaining blood, and her heart too. Goosebumps prickled my skin. I prayed that Hado would not notice. He touched the buckle across my midriff, silent now with his own thoughts, and showing no inclination to leave. I began to worry. The sunlight felt strange on my skin. Thin, sort of. Did that mean it was late afternoon? If Hado didn't leave soon, the sun would set and Shiny would become powerless. We needed his magic for this to work. You are not quite yourself, Shiny said suddenly. Something of him lingers. Hado stiffened perceptibly beside me. Not the pot that gives a damn about you, he snapped, and got up stalking toward the door. Speak of this again, and I will kill you myself. With that, he was gone, closing the door rather harder than necessary, and then Shiny was there, yanking at my midriff strap so roughly that I yelped. This place has been chaos all day, he said. The guards are on edge. They keep checking the room. Every hour, some interruption. Servants bringing food, checking your arm, then that one. Hado, I gathered. I pushed his hands away and fumbled with the midriff strap myself, gesturing for him to work on the leg straps, which he began to do. What's happened to get them all upset? When the sun rose this morning, it was black. I froze, stunned. Shiny kept working. A warning? I asked. The words of the quiet goddess came to me from that day in South Root. You know his temper better than I do. Not a tempest, as I had assumed then. With more of his children dead or missing, it was the Night Lord whose temper would be at the breaking point. Would he even wait the full month he had promised? 
Yes. Though it seems Yena has managed to contain his fury to some degree. The rest of the world can see the sun clearly. Only this city cannot. So Saruman had been right in her prediction. I could still feel sunlight on my skin, just weak. There must have been some light remaining, or Shiny wouldn't have bothered trying to free me. Perhaps it was like an eclipse. I had heard those described as the sun going black. But an eclipse that lasted all day and moved with the sun across the sky? No wonder the lights were a tizzy. The whole city would be in a panic. How much time until sunset? I asked. Very little. Gods, do you think you'll be able to break that window? The glass is so thick. My hands would not work as quickly as I wanted. I was still weak, but better than I had been. The cut legs are made of metal. I've loosened one of them, which should serve well as a club. He spoke as if that answered my question, which I supposed was an answer in itself. We got the straps undone and I sat up. There was no dizziness this time, though I swayed when I stood. Shiny turned away from me, and I heard him positioning the table in front of the door. This was to delay the guards, who would enter as soon as they heard Shiny break the window. Every second would matter once we began. There was a quick grunt from him, and a metallic groan as he worked the loose leg off his cot. As quietly as he could, he moved the broken cot in front of the door, too. Then we went to the window. I could still feel sunlight on my skin, but it was weak, cooling. Soon it would be gone. I don't know how long it will take for the magic to come, he said, or whether it will come at all. He did not say, but I knew he thought it. I was thinking it myself. So I'll fall for a while, I said. It's a long way down. Fear alone has killed mortals in moments of danger. The anger I'd felt since Madding's death had never gone away, just quieted. It rose in me again as I smiled. Then I won't be afraid. He hesitated a moment more, but finally lifted the cot leg. The first blow spider-webbed the window. It was also so loud, echoing in the partially emptied room, that almost immediately I heard men's voices through the door, raised in alarm. Someone fiddled with the lock, rattling keys. Shiny drew back and heaved the cot leg forward again, grunting with effort as he did so. I felt the wind of the legs passing, a truly mighty blow. It finished the window, knocking out several large pieces. A startlingly cold wind blew into the room, plastering my smock to my skin and making me shiver. The guards had gotten the door partially open, but were impeded by the table and cot. They were shouting at us, shouting for aid, trying to jostle the furniture out of the way. Shiny tossed aside the cot leg and kicked out as much of the glass as he could. Then he took my hands and guided them forward. I felt the cloth of his smock, removed to cover the jagged edges along the bottom sill. Try to push out away from the tree as you jump, he said, as if he told women how to leap to their deaths all the time. I nodded and leaned over the drop, trying to figure out how best to push off. As I did so, a breeze wafted up from below, lifting a few stray strands of my hair. For an instant, my resolve faltered. I am only human, after all, or mortal, if not human. Deliberately, I summoned the image of Madding as he gazed at me in that last moment. He had known he was dying, known that I was the cause. But there had been no hatred or disgust in his expression. He still loved me. My fear faded. I moved back away from the window. Shiny said over the guard's shouts, urgently, Ori, you must 
Shut up, I whispered, and took a running dive through the opening, spreading my arms as I flew into the open air. Roaring wind became the only sound I could hear. My clothes flapped around me, stinging my skin. My hair, which someone had tied back into a puff in an effort to control it, broke the tie and clouded loose behind me. Above me, I was falling, but it did not feel like falling. I floated, buoyed on an ocean of air. There was no sense of danger, no stress, no fear. I relaxed into it, wishing it would last. A hand swatted at my leg, jarring me out of bliss. I turned onto my back, lazy, graceful. Was that shiny? I could not see him. My plan had failed then, and we would both die when we struck the ground. He would come back to life. I would not. I reached up, offering my hands to him. He caught them this time, fumbling once, then drawing me close and wrapping his arms around me. I relaxed against his warm solidity, lulled by the rushing wind. Good. I would not die alone. Because my ear was against his chest, I felt him stiffen and heard his harsh gasp. His heart thudded hard once, against my cheek, then... Light. By the three so bright! All around me. I shut my eyes and still saw Shiny's form blazing before me, thinning the darkness of my vision. I could feel it against my skin, like the pressure of sunbeams. We streaked toward the earth like things I had imagined but would never see with my own eyes, like a comet, like a falling star. Our descent slowed. The wind's roar grew softer, gentler. Something had reversed gravity's pull. Were we flying now? Floating. How far had we fallen? How much farther to go? How long before the sun was gone and... Shiny cried out. His light vanished, snuffed all at once and with it went the force that had kept us afloat. We fell again, helpless now, with nothing left to stop us. I felt no fear. But Shiny was doing something, twisting, panting with effort, or perhaps the aftermath of his magic. I felt us turn in the air, and then we hit the ground. Fifteen. A Prayer to Dubious Gods. Watercolor. Someone was screaming, high, thin, incessant, irritating. I was trying to sleep, damn it. I turned over, hoping to orient my ears away from the sound. The instant I moved my head, nausea struck with stunning speed and force. I had enough time to open my mouth and drag in a loud, wheezing breath before the heaves came. I vomited a thin stream of bile, but nothing more. I must not have eaten for some time. My stomach seemed determined to dry heave nevertheless, regardless of my lungs' need for air. I fought the urge, my eyes watering and head pounding and ears ringing, until at last I managed to draw in a quick half-breath. That helped. The heaving slowed. I breathed more. At last the clenching in my gut ceased, though only for the moment. I could still feel the muscles there trembling, ready to resume their onslaught. Finally able to think, I lifted my head, trying to figure out where I was and what had happened. The ringing in my ears, which I had mistaken for screaming, was loud and incessant, maddening. The last thing I recalled was, I frowned, though this made the pain worse. Falling. Yes, 
I had leapt from a window of the House of the Risen Sun, determined to escape or die trying. Shiny had caught me, and I caught my breath. Shiny. Beneath me. I scrambled off him or tried to. The instant I moved my right arm, I screamed, which touched off another spate of stomach heaves. I fought through the pain and the retching, dragging myself off him with my left arm, which was still sore from infection and whatever the lights had inserted to draw my blood. Still, the pain in that arm was nothing compared to the agony in my right and the clenching of my belly and the shooting pains in my ribs and the roiling, grinding hell of my head. For a few moments, I could do nothing but lie where I was, whimpering and helpless with misery. At last, the pain faded enough for me to function. When I finally struggled to a half-upright position, I tried again to assess my surroundings. My right arm would not work at all. I reached out with my left. Shiny? He was there, alive, breathing. I brushed his eyes, which were open. They blinked, the lashes tickling my fingertips. I wondered if he had decided to stop speaking to me again. That was when I realized my knees and the hip I sat on were soaking wet. Confused, I felt the ground, brick cobbles, greasy and thick with dirt. Cold dampness that grew warmer, closer to Shiny's body, as warm as... Dearest gods. He was alive. His magic had saved us. Not completely, but enough to soften our fall. Enough that when he had turned us in the air, orienting so that he would hit the ground first... We had both survived. But if I was this injured, my fingers found the back of his head and I gasped, jerking my hand back. Gods, gods, gods. Where the hells were we? How long had we been lying there? Did I dare call for help? I looked around, listened. The air felt cool and misty with deep night. Fat drops of water touched my skin now and again, with the intermittent gentleness that was rain and shadow. I could hear it, a light drizzle all around us, but in the immediate vicinity, I heard nothing, no one. I could smell a great deal, though, garbage and fermented urine and rusting metal. Another alley? No, the space around us felt more open. Wherever we were, it was isolated. If anyone had seen us land, sheer curiosity should have brought them to find us. Shiny had begun to gasp irregularly. I put my hand on his bare chest. He had removed his shirt in the house and almost drew it back, repelled by the unnatural flatness of his torso. Yet his heart still beat steadily, in contrast to the bubbling, jerky breaths that he was struggling to draw in. At this rate, his natural death might take an agonizingly long time. I had to kill him. Panic gripped me, though that might have been queasiness, too. I knew it was foolish. It wasn't as though he would stay dead, and when he returned to life, he would be whole. It was, as Lil had concluded, the easiest way to heal him. It wouldn't even be the first time I'd done it. But it was one thing to kill in the heat of anger. Doing it in cold-blooded calculation was a whole other matter. I wasn't even certain I could kill him. My right arm was useless, dislocated or broken, though thankfully it seemed to be going numb. Everything else hurt. I might have survived the fall better than him, but that didn't make me whole. At the very least, I would need two working arms to break his neck. All at once it hit me. I was lost in some part of shadow, 
helpless, with a companion as good as dead. It was only a matter of time before the lights came looking. They knew Shiny, at least, would come back to life. I was sick, injured, weak, terrified, and damn it all, blind. Why the hells is everything so hard with you? I demanded of Shiny, blinking away tears of frustration. Hurry up and die! Something rattled nearby. I gasped, my heart leaping in my chest. Frustration forgotten, I pushed myself to my knees and listened hard. It had come from my right, somewhere above me, a quick metal sound. Water falling on an exposed pipe, maybe, or someone searching for us, reacting to the sound of my voice. On my hands and knees, I quickly felt around me. A few feet to my left, I found wood, old and splintery. A barrel, its binding rings rusty, one side staved in. Above it, another, and then something that felt like a wide, flat piece of roof shingle planking, leaning against the barrels. Jammed against it, a rotted-out crate. I was in a junkyard. The only junkyard anywhere near the tree was shoe stocks in Westshire, where all the area smiths and carters dumped their useless materials and carriage works. The roof planking formed a kind of lean-to against the barrels with a narrow space underneath. As carefully as I could, I pushed the planking farther back, praying there was nothing balanced against it that would fall and give us way, or crush us. Nothing happened, so I felt around more finally crawling under the planking to inspect the space. Just enough room. I backed out and got to my feet, and nearly fell again as another retching spasm took me. The pain in my head was truly awful, worse than it had ever been. I must have hit my head in the fall, not enough to break it, but certainly enough to rattle things around inside. Another sound from the same direction, something thumping against wood, then silence. Panting my way through the pain, I stumbled back to Shiny's body. Hooking my good hand into his pants, I leaned back with my hips and pushed with my legs and whimpered through my teeth as I dragged him back inch by inch. It took everything I had to get him into that little hiding space, and he did not fit well. His feet stuck out. I crawled in beside him panting and listened, hoping the rain would wash away Shiny's blood quickly. Shiny groaned suddenly, and I jumped, glaring at him in consternation. The dragging must have injured him even further. No choice now. If I didn't kill him, he would give us away. Swallowing hard, I did as he had done to me in the house of the risen sun. I pressed my hand over his mouth, pinching his nose shut with my fingers. For five breaths, I counted my own. It seemed to work. His chest rose, fell, stilled. And then he bucked upward, fighting me. I tried to hold on, but he was too strong, even damaged as he was, jostling me loose. As soon as I let go, he sucked in air again, louder than before. Demons! He's going to get us both killed. Demons, I flexed my hand, remembering. There was plenty of blood to use as paint, at least. I reached under his neck and got a generous handful. My hand shook as I put it on his chest gingerly. Before, I had imagined that I was painting, and then I had believed the painting real. Slowly, I moved my hand, smoothing the blood in a wide circle on his skin. I would make another hole, like the one I had used to kill Shiny before, like the one that had pierced Date's empty. Not a circle drawn with blood paint, a hole. His chest rose and fell beneath my hand, belying this. 
I scowled and lifted my hand so that I couldn't feel him breathe. A hole, through flesh and bone, like a grave dug in soft earth, edges neatly cut by an unseen shovel blade. Perfectly circular. A hole. My hand appeared. I saw it hovering in the darkness, fingers splayed, trembling with effort. A hole. Compared to the sickening throb already in my head, what arced through my eyes was almost pleasant. Either I was getting used to it, or I was already in so much pain that it didn't matter. But I noticed when Shiny stopped breathing. My heart pounding, I lowered my hand to where his chest should have been. I felt nothing at first. Then my hand drifted a little to the side. Meat and bone, cut neatly, as if with a knife. I snatched my hand back, my gorge rising again all on its own. How peculiar! cried a bright voice right behind me. I nearly screamed. Would have done it if my chest hadn't hurt. I did whirl and jump and scramble back, jarring my arms something fierce. The creature that crouched at Shiny's feet was not human. It had a human structure, more or less, but it was impossibly squat, nearly as wide as it was tall, and it wasn't very tall. Maybe the size of a child, if that child had broad, yoke-like shoulders and long arms rippling with muscle. The creature's face was not that of a child either, though it was cheeky with huge round eyes. It had a receding hairline, and its gaze was both ancient and half-feral. But I could see it, and that meant it was a godling, the ugliest one I had yet seen. <sighs> Hello, I said when my heart had stopped jumping around. I'm sorry, you startled me. It, he, smiled at me, a quick flash of teeth. Those were not human either. He had no canines, just perfectly flat squares, straight across on top and bottom. Didn't mean to, he said. Didn't think you'd see me. Most don't. He leaned close, squinting at my face. Huh, so you're that girl, the one with the eyes. I nodded, accepting that bizarre designation. Godlings gossiped like fishermen. Enough of them had encountered me that word must have spread. And you are? Dump. Pardon? Dump. That's a neat trick you did. He jerked his chin toward Shiny. Always wanted to pop a hole or two in him myself. What you're doing with them? It's a long story, I sighed, suddenly weary. If only I dared rest. Maybe, um, Lord D Dump, I felt very foolish saying that. I'm in a lot of trouble here. Please, will you help me? Dump cocked his head like a puzzled dog. Despite this, the look in his eyes was quite shrewd. You? Depends. Him? No way. I nodded slowly. Mortals constantly asked godlings for favors. A lot of godlings were prickly about it. And this one didn't like Shiny. I would have to tread carefully, or he might leave before I could explain about his missing siblings. First, can you tell if anyone else is around? I heard something before. That was me, coming to see what had dropped into my place. Lots of people get tossed out and end up here, but never from so high up. He gave me a wry look. Thought you'd be messier. Your place. A junkyard was not my idea of a home, but godlings had no need of the material comforts we mortals liked. Oh, sorry. Dump shrugged. Not like you could help it. Won't be mine much longer anyway. He gestured upward, and I remembered the blackened sun, the night lord's warning. 
You're going to leave? I ask. Got no choice, do I? Not stupid enough to stick around when Naha's this pissed. Just glad he hasn't cursed us, too. He sighed, looking unhappy. All the mortals, though, they're marked. Everybody who was in the city at the time Rola and the others died, even if they leave, they still see the black sun. I tried to send some of my kids down south to one of the coast towns, and they just came back. Said they wanted to be with me when... He shook his head. Kill them all, guilty and innocent alike. He and Tempest never were all that damn different. I lowered my head and sighed, weary and more than body. Had it even done any good escaping the lights? Would it make any difference if I found my way to expose them? Would the Night Lord destroy the city anyway for sheer spite? Dump shifted from foot to foot, abruptly looking uncomfortable. Can't help you, though. What? Someone wants you. Him, too. Can't help either of you. All at once I understood. You're the Lord of Discards, I said. I could not help smiling. I'd grown up on tales of him, though I'd never known his true name. They'd been favorites of my childhood. He was another trickster figure, humorous, appearing prominently in stories of runaway children and lost treasures. Once something was thrown away, unwanted or forgotten, it belonged to him. He grinned back at me with those unnervingly flat teeth. Yeah. Then his smile faded. But you ain't thrown away. Someone wants you bad. He took a step back as if my very presence pained him, grimacing in distaste. You're gonna have to go. I'll send you somewhere. If you can't walk, I know about the missing godlings, I blurted. I know who's been killing them. Dump stiffened all at once, his massive fists clenching. Who? A cult of crazy mortals. Up there. I pointed back toward the tree. There's one of them, a Scrivener who... I hesitated, suddenly aware of the danger of naming Date a demon. If the gods knew there were still demons in the world... No, I no longer cared what happened to me. Let them kill me, as long as they dealt with Madding's killers, too. But before I could say the words, Dump suddenly caught his breath and whirled away from me, his image flaring brighter as he summoned his magic. There was a scream in the distance, and then I heard small feet come pelting around a pile of rubbish, scrabbling once as they trotted along what sounded like a loose board. Dump! A young girl cried. People in the yard! Rexy told him to get the hells out, and they hit him! He's bleeding! Abruptly, I was jostled as Dump shoved the girl into the little alcove with me and Shiny. Stay there, he commanded. I'll go take care of him. I squirmed around the girl. There wasn't much room for her, but she was small. I pushed at her. She was all lanky bones and ragged clothes. Lord Dump, be careful. The Scrivener I told you about, his magic... Dump made a sound of annoyance and vanished. Damn it. I pounded my good fist into Shiny's unresponsive leg. If Date was among the lights who had come looking for me, or if they had another arrowhead made from demon's blood... Hey, said the girl annoyed. Shove the dead guy, not me. Dead, dead. Uselessly dead. I couldn't say he hadn't warned me, though. This was why he'd wanted me stronger before we attempted the escape. So that I could leave him behind? For a moment, the possibility turned in my thoughts. If the lights didn't find him, Shiny would return to life and make his own way in the city, however he'd done it before meeting me. If they did find him... Well, perhaps he would slow them down enough for me to escape. Even as I thought it, though, I knew I couldn't do it. 
As much as I wanted to hate Shiny for his self-absorption and his temper and his miserable personality, he had loved Madding, too. For that alone, he deserved some loyalty. In the meantime, I needed help. I couldn't count on Dump returning. I had no way to reach mortal aid. If I could summon another godling to help, or better still... My first thought was so repellent that I actually had trouble considering it. I forced myself to do so anyhow, because Shiny had said it himself. There was one god who would want to deal with his children's killers. Yet, I also knew from my people's history that Lord Nahadoth would not stop there. He might decide to wipe out the lights by wiping out the entire city of Shadow, or perhaps the whole world. He was already angry, and we were nothing to him, worse than nothing his betrayers and tormentors. It would probably please him to see us all die. The Grey Lady, then. She had been mortal and still showed some concern for mortal kind. Yet how could I reach her? I wasn't a pilgrim, though I had exploited them for years. To pray to a god, to get a god's attention, one had to thoroughly understand that god's nature. I didn't even know the lady's real name. The same went for nearly all of the godlings I could think of, including Lady Nemer. I didn't know enough about any of them. Then an idea came to me. I swallowed, my hands suddenly clammy. There was one godling whose nature was simple enough, terrible enough, that any mortal could summon her, though the maelstrom knew I didn't want to. Move, I said to the girl. Muttering, she slipped out, and I crawled one-handed out into the open. The girl started to crawl back in, but I caught her bony leg. Wait, is there anything around here like a stick? Something at least this long? I started to lift both arms, then gasped as the muscles of my bad arm cramped agonizingly. I finally approximated the gesture with my good arm. If I had to flee, I would need some means of finding my way. The girl said nothing, probably glaring at me for a second or two. Then she slipped out. I waited, tense, hearing the sounds of battle in the distance, adult shouts, children's screams, Debris crashing and splintering, disturbingly close.